Hi, Chris from Lost Boys here. I'm in Bon Hill today for the Celtic Grave Society event to mark the grave of Neil McCallum, one of the members of Celtic's very first starting 11, way back in 1888. There's been many great goal scorers over the years Stevie Chalmers in Lisbon, Henry Larson more recently, uh, Jimmy McGrory, but um, all of them have scored some great goals but none of them can claim what Neil McCallum can claim the man who got Celtic's first ever goal the 28th of May 1888 in a game that Celtic beat Rangers 5-2 his was first <laughs> so it's only fitting that we're here to mark the, his grave this is a, one of the events that was put together because there was an unmarked grave here in uh, the cemetery and I'm going to keep what I'm talking to in a minimum because I have a bit of a cold today and <laughs> I'll just end up coughing and spluttering so I'm sure this will be as good as usual and also everyone else who's helped for making this happen. And who better to attend today's uh, ceremony than guest of honour Stevie Chalmers, the scorer of the most important goal in the club's history in Lisbon 67. Eight decades after Neil McCallum's header in the first ten minutes against Rangers on the 28th of May 1888 in a 5-2 win in the first ever game. Some things never change. The newspapers claim that it was a Rangers reserve team. So, <laughs> just to remove any doubt, the Celts travelled to Ibrox just five months later to play Rangers first team in the Glasgow Cup. And a seven goal thriller, this time we won not 5-2, but 6-1, with Neil McCallum once again <clears throat> on the score sheet. In paying tribute to Neil McCallum, we should also recognise the role this part of Dumbartonshire has played in the emergence of Scottish football, with Neil's first club, Brenton, who also gave us James Kelly, crowned the unofficial champions of the world in 1888. Indeed, the very first team picture of Celtic in the original strip with the Celtic cross was taken just across the river here in Melbourne Park, home of Vale of Leaving, which still stands to this day. Just over 90 years ago, <laughs> Celtic legend first manager Willie Maley stood just where we're standing today and placed a Celtic top on Neil McCallum's coffin as it was lowered into the ground. It summed up perfectly the lasting impression Neil McCallum had on Willie Maley, who described him as the greatest right winger of our time. Ninety years later, we stand here again to ensure that the name of Neil McCallum will live on forever. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce today's speakers. We've got the editor of the Celtic View, Paul Cuddity, to represent Celtic FC. We've got the son of Glenn Daly, Terry Dick here, Celtic raconteur. <laughs> Damien McQueen to represent the family. And we've got Father Kane from St Paxton Barton who will conduct the blessing. We then lay some flowers in the grave and have the opportunity to have some pictures taken. Ladies and gentlemen, just ask Paul Cuddy to say a few words. Thanks very much, Brendan. Um, first of all, just to thank the Celtic Grave Society for 
the invitation to come along here today and, and to speak on behalf of the club. It's a, it's a great honour for me to be speaking at, uh, at this event today. Um, it's a great honour also to be standing beside Stevie Chalmers, uh, Brendan says, the scorer of our most important goal, uh, a Celtic legend, so I'm honoured to be standing beside Stevie. Um, it's great that he's here. It's also, as on all these occasions, it's, it's a wonderful Celtic occasion and I think what makes it special as well is the fact that there's, there's members of the McCallum family here to, to be here for this, this event as well. And I think it's a great occasion for them as well as for us as a Celtic family. I think it's also, you know, when we we're here to remember the man who scored the very first goal in Celtic's history. It's, it's also a, a, an important day in terms of goal scoring anniversaries for Celtic. It was on this day in 1928 that Jimmy McGrory scored eight goals in a game when we beat Dunfermline 9-0. He's obviously the, the man who scored more goals for Celtic than, than any other player. And when uh, A couple of years ago we wrote a book on the 28 men who scored 100 goals or more for Celtic. Obviously, Jimmy McGrory is the man at the top of the tree. This man to my left is, is another who, who made it into that elite band of, of players. And there is a very small group of players who managed to, to achieve that. But what Stevie has done in his career and also Neil McCallum is to sort of set themselves apart. Stevie scored, obviously, the goal, the most important goal, the goal that won the European Cup. The only Celtic player so far to have scored a winning goal in a European Cup final. Neil McCallum started it thousands of games and thousands of goals ago. He was the man who, who put the ball not, not in the net but through the, the goal for our, our very first goal and properly enough against Rangers. A header as Brendan says after 10 minutes. And when you read back in the, the match report at that time um, it, it makes mention of the fact that there was about 2,000 people who came along to that game. And I think for, for those people who were lucky enough to be in Lisbon, uh, either there at the game or to watch on television, I think they were aware when Stevie scored that goal and we won the European Cup that they were watching history, that they, they were watching something that was special in, in our football club. But I'm not sure whether the, the 2,000 people who came along to watch Celtic play Rangers in that game back in May the 1888, we're aware really of, of the historical significance of that. I'm not sure if, if some of them maybe even came along just out of curiosity. Obviously football was still quite a fledgling game. Celtic were really in, in the very first days of its existence. So the fact that 2,000 people came along to see this, this new club, they would never have, even in their wildest imaginations, uh, been able to imagine what Celtic Football Club became. And I always think that obviously when, when Celtic score, and depending, you know, if, if Celtic score a goal against Rangers now, then obviously the, the celebrations of that, uh, you know, are fantastic because of the significance. And, and I think when Neil McCallum headed the ball and to get, you know, to score past Rangers, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how those 2,000 fans would have reacted. Obviously, I, I couldn't imagine any impromptu huddles or concessions <coughs> of the crowd singing back and forth. Glasgow's white with the red... Celtic Cross, and I don't know how that would have rang out in a song, but I'm, I'm not sure if it would have been even polite applause, but I, I do have a sense of envy of, of the fact that, that those 2,000 people were there to see their very first game, and again, obviously for the McCallum family, they know they have that link with that first game, and the fact that, that uh, a relative of theirs was not only there, but played in the game and scored their very first goal. But 
for some of us here, maybe even some of our ancestors were at that game as well, and, and started a, a love of Celtic Football Club that has remained to this day. And I think at every event that we go to for the Celtic Grave Society, I think everybody mentions the, the important and valuable work that the Celtic Grave Society do, and I don't think that can ever be underestimated. I think. The mark of a, of a society, of a community and of a family in, in terms of the Celtic family, uh, one of the things that, that, that sets you out is, that, is how you honour the dead. And, and I think the, the, the work that the Celtic Grave Society does and is continuing to do in terms of remembering the men who played such an important part in starting this football club that we all love uh, has to be commended and supported and, and, and I think it's just a wonderful thing. today. We're here to, to remember a man who, to say thousands of goals later, will play thousands of games. He's the very first man to have scored a goal for Celtic, and that's a wonderful, wonderful achievement and a wonderful thing to be remembered for. Uh, to say a thank you for the, the Celtic Grave Society. I think everybody here is a tremendous attendance today, and I think we all want to, to thank the Celtic Grave Society for their work and, and continue to support everything they do as they honour the men who, who played such an important part in our football club. Thank you. Reverend Father, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Celtic supporters. In 1812, a lyric by James Shanks appeared in a book called Reminiscences of Bonhill Parish. It at once became popular and much loved. It was called the Beautiful Vale. Oh, where is the land that can boast out so fair as the Queen of Scotch Lakes midst our pure mountain air? Tis not the Rhine Valley that could ever even to the beautiful scenes of the Vale of the Leven. The chorus further extolled the beauty of this land of contrasts scarred in some places by the rapid growth of industrialization and others with a majestic backdrop of mountain, lock and river. Undoubtedly, the Vale of Leven was the cradle of football in this country. And it was a game that was proudly represented in this area by Renton FC, whom our own Willie Maley hailed as top of the tree in the Scottish game. They were Scottish Cup winners in 1888 and champions of the world the same year, beating West Bromwich Albion, FA Cup holders, 4-1 at Hamden in a game that took place amidst dramatic thunder and lightning storms. That night, back in the Vale of Leven, there was a celebratory bonfire procession to hail the victors. And in the tiny pavilion at Tontine Park, they nailed up a plaque emblazoned with the legend champions of the world. The Renton Club had a distinctive playing style. I think it would be unfair to liken it to sometimes the cries that are heard in Scottish junior football grounds of, never mind the ball, go on with the game. But it was called the Renton Charge, and a contemporary observer described it thus. The Renton Charge occurred when the ball was lobbed into the goal mouth and five forwards arrived like a cavalry unit in their blue and red knickerbocker hose and jerseys 
to persuade the hapless custodian to retreat behind his line. This team's success was based on stamina, strength and preparation. But they had a secret weapon known only to the folk of this area. And it was known locally as the Chicken Bray. Now, there was no chicken involved. Not even an or or an oxo-cube was involved. It was a magic elixir provided by a local wine merchant. And it was a mixture of port wine and fresh eggs. And it was taken before every match. One old timer looking back, almost 50 years later, said, when you had a glass of that, you played your heart out. And isn't it nice to think that some modern players have retained that tradition of taking alcohol before the horse matches Renton's jewel in the crown was, of course, 18-year-old outside right Neil McCallum. He was one of the most sought-after players in the country, an intelligent, goal-scoring wingman who could dribble, pass and cross accurately. His play was described at the time as fast and clever with the ability to shoot with hardly any back lift. Ironically, the McCallum's family motto was, he aims at difficult things. And certainly, young Neil took that to heart in his play. He scored six goals in a match at Barrafield Park in the east end of Glasgow in a match, incidentally, organised by Brother Walfred to provide funds for the poor children's dinner table. He scored twice in the 6-1 defeat of Cambus Lang in the Scottish Cup final of 1888. Now celebrated and admired as he was in the game, even greater success and defining date with destiny awaited this young man. Monday the 28th of May 1888 was, was described as unseasonably cold and crisp. Day trippers and return journeys from Rothsey and Dunoon to the Brimelaw and Bridge Wharf perhaps sneaked into the ship's bar to have a wee hoff or two. Their condition in disembarking made sure that the word steaming went into the Glasgow vernacular forever. At the International Exhibition in Kelvin Grove Park, recently opened by the Prince and Princess of Wales, a more genteel West End crowd promenaded or dallied at the bandstand or went into the cafes to enjoy the Victorian equivalent of cafe lattes and biscotti. Meanwhile, down in the bustling Tron Gate, amidst horse-drawn cabs and trams, a raucous theatre crowd pressed to get entry into the old Britannia music hall to see their favourites of the day, and some of the acts must have been incredible. There was Dodie Godfrey and her comic troupe of performing dogs, Professor Duval, wizard and ventriloquial artist, and that's hard to say while well, drinking a glass of water. <laughs> and the local favourites, of course, had a Hibernian tinge to them. Mr. and Mrs. O'Grady, comic song and pattern merchants. However, it was essential at Britannia that you avoided the Friday amateur night. That's when larrikins and nincompoops in Victorian terms, that was Ned's. <laughs> Armed themselves with rotten food, rotten fruit, fish heads and fish guts, and what can only be described as material deposited by horses in the pavement to pelt unfortunate performers who were relieved to be spared this purgatory by being hauled off by the hook. Johnny Beatty, 
a very distinguished comedian, has defined this era in Scottish entertainment in the following way. He says, it was that time in Scottish theatre when no term was left unstoned. <laughs> <laughs> On that evening, however, some were, some were making their way along the Gallagate, passing dozens of public houses and the odd pawn shop, while some local youngsters were singing the hits of the day from McLennan's song sheet at the street corners. These people came from the East End parishes of St Andrew, St Mary's Abercrombie Street, the Sacred Heart and St Michael's. Like millions after them, they were on the road to paradise, only they didn't realise it. The parochial element is, however, misleading. They were about to attend a major event in Scottish sporting and social history, the debut of the newly formed Celtic Club. The Celts were to play Rangers Swifts at the new stadium in Dilmarnock Street, running adjacent to Janefield Cemetery. This ground had come up from nothing in a mere seven months due to the toil and determination of thousands of East End Irish and the wonderful vision of Brother Walfred. In front of a crowd of estimated at around 2,000, in the 10th minute of the match, guest player McCallum made his dramatic and unique entry into the Celtic tapestry. Mikel of Rangers made a mistake and knocked a ball out for a corner. Dunbar went to take it, he knocked it into the area and there was the young lad from the Vale to head it past Rangers goalkeeper Nicol and Celtic had scored their first ever goal. In a stirring end-to-end -end encounter, Rangers were described as playing with great vigour and determination. That sounds familiar. <laughs> but more significantly, the Celts played a more controlled, short-passing game, and victory was secured by five goals to two. Not unsurprisingly, the game ended in refereeing controversy. Celtic were denied a sixth goal with a dubious offside decision. But the Celtic committee, accepting that it was just another honest mistake, <laughs> insisted that the ref and the umpires were toasted at the aftermatch soiree of drink, music and song held in St Mary's Abercrombie Street Parochial Hall in East Rose Street. The highlight of the evening being handsome Tom Maley giving his wonderful recitation of the epic Victorian poem, The Lifeboat. At the beginning of Celtic's first full season, James Kelly and McCallum had fixed Celtic Park, and this is the phrase they used then as their new quarters. The boy from the Vale enhanced team spirit and morale with his humour, practical jokes, and like all good Celts, he could sing. In his first few weeks as a Celt, McCallum was a sensation. He was in sparkling form. He was scoring freely. Then they travelled to Ibrox to meet the mighty Rangers in the first round of the Glasgow Cup. They won 6-1, and the Scottish umpire viewed the victory ecstatically. <coughs> Celtic came away with a brilliance at Ibrox which has seldom been seen in that stadium. The dodging and dribbling of the whole forward quintet was a caution while shooting was dead on. 
And then, most appropriately, in a game in his native Vale against Dumbarton in the Scottish Cup semi-final, Madden in that day, of course, played against Celtic, further illustrated the brilliance of this Celtic side. The cool, calculating, easy-going manner in which the Celts rocked the ball must have been a revelation to Dumbarton people. So completely were they taken with the manoeuvres of the Shamrock representatives that they forgot to cheer their own team. In the team's unsuccessful effort to win the Scottish Cup at their first attempt versus for Lanark, McCallum was brilliant again. Passing, surging runs, thrilled the crowd. One pundit said, McCallum faced up to his man with a confidence that betokened superiority. In scoring Celtic's equalising goal that day, he stepped into the record books once again, becoming the first Celt to score in a Scottish Cup final. This was a truly great Celtic team. The forward line read like a litany. You almost feel that you should put a man at the end of it. McCallum, Brady, McMadden, McMahon and Campbell. And in season 1891-92, after an English sojourn, McCallum, the prodigal son, came back to the Celts to rejoin the men in green and white as they secured the Scottish Cup for the first time, beating Queen's Park 5-1 in the final. Like the artists in the Scottish Music Hall, these players were both personalities and entertainers, although they received nothing like the remuneration. I was listening last night that in 1890, Little Titch, one of the great artists of the day, was getting £258 a week, which is roughly 28000 a week. So there was no comparison in economic terms, but certainly in popularity. What playing contemporaries he had? Sandy McMahon, the Duke, the Prince of Players. Uncompromising and fearless Jerry Reynolds, the man with the iron head. Dan Doyle, mighty among men. Handsome Tom Maley, McLaren, the General. James Kelly, the first Celt to captain the Scottish international side, and Willie Groves with his host of female admirers. Not only did this Celtic team entertain, they saved the game in this country. It was generally accepted by 1888 that the game was in decline, and a lot of people thought, it's just going to go the same way as amateur cricket and professional running. What did the Celtic bring? They brought a new lease of life and a new style to the game. And most importantly, they brought a whole new public. In the unprecedented popularity that they engendered, there were record attendances and gate receipts. Shakespeare wrote, There is history in all men's lives. But Neil McCallum, just didn't appear in what the poet called that gallery of pictures. He was a history maker. As Pat Woods, that eminent Celtic historian, has dubbed him, he was the history man. He was the first to hear the roar of acclaim for a Celtic goal scorer and receive the adulation of a disadvantaged community desperate for heroes. He was the first Celt to score in a Scottish Cup final and was in the first team to win the trophy. With Renton, he was a World Club Championship winner before he was 19 years of age. In 1892, the year of the Celtic, he was a member of the first treble winning team 
Mealy Shamrock treble. The victories that year prompted devout committee member Ned McGinn to contact the Vatican. Holiness, we have won three cups. Now, Leo XIII was an understanding and tolerant man, but he was perhaps too concerned with polishing his latest encyclical, Rerum Novarum, or the rise of modernism to get back to Ned. But I feel certain that he was heartened by the success of his team in Glasgow's East End. In February 1888, McCallum guested for Rangers versus Aston Villa, <coughs> Perry Bar in Birmingham, becoming the first known Roman Catholic to play for that club and the first Celt to, claw, to, to cross that awning divide which became so bitter in the following years. Incidentally, the Jers were beaten 5-1. And this perhaps influenced their approach to such matters in the future. <coughs> One of the really great indicators of fame is to have a drink or food named in your honour. It's prestigious company indeed. Peach Melba, in homage to the great operatic figure Dame Nelly Melba. A bloody Mary, a gory reminder of the ill-fated Mary Tudor. Earl Grey tea, a favourite drink of Tommy Donnelly's. King Edward Potatoes. Beef Wellington for the hero of Waterloo and Napoleon Brandy for the consolation of his defeated adversary. And then, of course, my own particular favourite, Eggs Benedict. Although you've got to be very careful where you order that. <laughs> In Glasgow folklore, traditionally, a vanilla ice cream and a wee saucer with raspberry on the top was called a Macallum. Even today, debate rages as to the origins of the ice cream delicacy. Italian families, the Rossais, the Crollers, the Castlevecchis, all argue about it. Who invented it? I think we'll leave Machiavelli to sort that one out, because that could become a vendetta. However, the claims are numerous. One gentleman claims that it became called a McCallum because while they were pounding the streets of Parkhead training, Neil McCallum would jump out the crowd, go into the cafe and say, can I have a Macallum, please? Wasn't he called that then, but it became because he kept asking for it. I think that's unlikely. My own father, who had a kind of romantic idea of Celtic, thought it was symbolic of the red Celtic cross and the original jersey. And recently, John Kearney in his book, distinguished actor and writer, in his book The Seven Penny Gate, says that he sees it as symbolic of first old, old firm blood Celtic. And then of course there's that well-kent song, Adam McNaughton's Where is the Glasgow that I used to know, where he nostalgically recalls those dear dead days beyond recall. And where is the chip shop that I knew so well, the wee corner cafe where they used to sell hot peas and bray and Macallums and Pokes. And you knew they were fairly the minute they spoke. Do you want a raspberry or your ice cream? <laughs> Apologies to Antonio Carluccio for that accent. <laughs> but it was fame indeed. And still is. When the cares 
and toils of this life are near o'er, and my bark is nearing yon beautiful shore. My last wish is this, that to me it be given to be laid to my rest in the Vale of the Leaven. And in November 1920, at the age of 51, Neil McCallum was laid here to rest in this churchyard. Where Ben Lomond, in friendship, <coughs> nods to the Clyde. He was much mourned. His name and fame are a national possession, the Glasgow Observer. He was our greatest right winger of all time, Willie Mealy. A cheery character and popular accordingly, evening time. His death will cause regret wherever the game is played and in many places where a football has never been seen. Glasgow Observer. In his playing day, Neil McCallum was known as the Shadow. For too long, he has rested here in the shade of relative obscurity. May the commemorative stone, which we dedicate today, be a sign to all who pass through this place that Neil McCallum doesn't lie anonymously in the dust of death, but that he was a distinguished son of this district, an iconic self, and an outstanding sportsman. His immortality, assured by his fame and achievement on the field of play, and his unique contribution to the establishment of the game in this country, and to the history and worldwide fame of the Celtic Football Club. Thank you. And I'm here all week. Just like to ask uh, Damien to say a few words and then we'll get Jim. Um, on behalf of the family, we'd like to thank you all for coming today. Um, I know a lot of you have travelled from far afield, um, especially Jim here, who's came all the way to Perth. Um, it's just not nervous, but Terry said that he was the greatest right winger ever until some wee man from View Park came along two years later and spoiled that ancestry. Um, but again, we'd like to thank you all for coming. I'd like to thank Father Kane uh, for also coming and doing a blessing this morning. Um, I'd like to thank Stevie Chalmers and Jim again for coming down. Um, unfortunately, my dad's not here, so that's his hero, Stevie, there. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but uh, he's moving to see Stevie. Thanks again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, could I just say first of all my apologies for being late. I was here at 5 to 11, not here by the way, but I'll speak to you over those instructions later on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and of course I didn't hear what was said earlier on, so if I say something that's been said before, I apologise for that.
for the early months of the year 1888, must have been a really fascinating time for the 20th year, well, well, he was in his 20th year, Neil McCallum. <coughs> On the 4th of February that year, he was in the renting team, which won the Scottish Cup, beating Camus Lang Rangers 6-1, the highest ever score in the Scottish Cup final. I'll tell Selkie did it again in uh, 1972. Then a few weeks later, Renson played West Bromwich Albion, who had won the English Cup. And that was billed as for the championship of the world, and Renton won 2-1, and everybody was quite delighted in Scotland because they had a team that was world champions. But they would all have been well aware at that time of this, uh, the noise that's coming out of the East End of Glasgow about this club that was uh, having taken a very bold initiative, even a very audacious initiative of building its own ground before they had a single player. And in order for the first time Celtic played in that park, 28th of May 1888, uh, Celtic had to ask players uh, to play for them on that night and Neil McCallum was chosen to play outside right. He would have been quite intrigued, I would think, at that time to get the invitation because uh, players always like uh, that kind of thing when someone new comes up and um, chance to try something different. And obviously he played very well that night. He scored the first goal within the first 10 minutes and Celtic signed him. And he went on to have a very good Celtic career when he scored a goal every two games, which was very good for a right winger. Scored an equalising goal in the 89 Scottish Cup final against Atlantic the following year, although Celtic had beaten in that particular one. And then he was in the Celtic team which won the 1892 Scottish Cup for the first time. So an excellent career and um, he, he quite rightly deserves all the, uh, the attention that uh, he has got through the years for scoring Celtic's first ever go. Um, I think on behalf of uh, all of us here and uh, Celtic fans throughout the world, I would like to uh, thank, first of all, or to congratulate, first of all, the McLaughlin family for uh, having such a talented uh, ancestor. I'd also thank them for giving a, a great uh, player to the cause of Celtic. Thank you very much. Very thanks for all those words this morning, gentlemen, and um, we pray for God's blessing to come upon this memorial plaque here. And of course, that's one of the things that um, memorial plaques do they bring back those memories, those um, feelings of, uh, of happiness, those times of sadness, of course, in the past, also. And that's what these memorial plaques serve to do to remind us of those who have gone before us and the the lives they lived and at the same time still within us those same uh, emotions remind us of also the ones that we have loved and lost also. <coughs> o God, by whose mercy the faithful departed find rest, bless this grave and send your holy angel to watch over it. Bless this plaque, send your holy angel to watch over it, buried here, the body of our brother Neil McCallum and others, that he may rejoice in you and with your saints forever. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, whose days are without end and whose mercies beyond counting, Keep us mindful that life is short and the hour of death unknown. Let your spirit guide our days on earth in the ways of holiness and justice, 
that we may serve you in union with the whole church, sure in faith, strong in hope, perfected in love, and when our earthly journey is ended, lead us rejoicing into your kingdom, where you live forever and ever. Amen. Eternal rest. And to the and may the blessing of God Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to upon you all and remain with you. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Celtic Grave Society will be marking the grave of Michael Dolan in Cope Bridge, hopefully in St Patrick's weekend. And this will ensure that finally all the members of the very first ever Celtic team will all be lying in marked graves. We can only do this, of course, with the backing, the support and of the club. So if anyone's still to get a copy of today's booklet available for £2, £5 or £10, please get in touch. I'd like to invite everyone back also to the Celtic Club in London Road for today's match, a pre-match toast to Neil McCallum. Thanks very much. So we're getting the usual photos now. Always good to have the family here. Terry Dick is getting to be even better at these every time I come along. Some of the, he's a good storyteller and some of the facts I didn't even know. I couldn't have told you he played for Rangers in the game. So there you go. Not only is he the first goal scorer, he's the first man to play for Celtic and Rangers. <laughs> uh, looking forward to the, the, the Michael Dolan one. But has anyone noticed how the uh, kind of similar names between the people we're attending here and the people that work for Celtic on the ground? <laughs> hell, hell.
brother.